Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff and Rory podcast. On this podcast, I aim to inspire change by speaking to people that I relate to and we'll be discussing a range of subjects and topics including trauma, adversity, healing and mental health and well-being. I cherish my inner being and I'm on a journey to stay grounded, living in the present, reflecting on the past and looking forward to the future. This week's guest is Gordon Corsetti. Gordon is a member of the Lacrosse Referee Association. Gordon is also an author, a public speaker, and an advocate for public suicide prevention and mental health awareness, writing regularly on his website, mentallyagile.com. He collected various tools in pursuit of his permanent recovery from depression and anxiety. Gordon writes about philosophy and different modes of thought that he experiments with to refine his perspective on life. He speaks to the unique human ability to change our minds and shows how to use tools to accomplish that change. Mental agility, depression, lacrosse saved my life, generalized anxiety disorder, ECT. Treatment-resistant depression. Suicidal thoughts. Medication. Therapy. Exercise. DBT. Cold therapy. Live a more fulfilling life. Pain into purpose. Recovery, gratitude, fighting the inner opponent, coming through failure, semicolon. I'd like to just very quickly jump in and thank everybody. We have reached 1,526 streams. I can't say anything, but this is a dream. Thank you so much for the incredible feedback. I'm blown away from the response. Keep sharing, listening, and sharing hope to think that one day we can all become a part of something unique. Come together and bring moments that Gordon now has used through lacrosse every day day and week that he takes the field to help make a difference let's make everything better share as much as we can and smile so welcome to the riff raff and rory podcast um today i am very honored to have my first guest from the u.s um this uh young man has uh tapped into many of my areas uh that we'll get into but uh gordon thank you very much for having the time to uh spend time with us today my pleasure rory looking forward to this so uh before we roll into a lot of topics that literally roll off my tongue and the excitement is uh quite uh hard to contain in the sense of just never having dawned or seen even some areas of say your career but um i mean like say lacrosse for say example and whatnot we'll get into it but uh do you want to just give us a quick intro and we'll uh, we can and then we can dive into it certainly so my name is gordon corsetti i run an organization a speaking and writing business called mental agility uh, my website is mentallyagile.com and that's where i put up uh, videos of different workshops that i do on teaching people a, a different way to think, not necessarily a better way, but I come from a long sporting background in martial arts and lacrosse here in the States. And all my life I had been taught about mental toughness. And that was the thing that had always pushed me through in all the sports that I had. And then that led into school and then certainly into the rest of my life is the only framework that I could approach difficulties in life. And the problem for me is I lived with undiagnosed depression for several years from teens to early 20s. Uh, and then even with a diagnosis of, of depression and eventual treatment resistant depression, I had several suicide attempts in my mid 20s that led to several hospitalizations and inpatient and uh, 
uh, uh, partial hospitalization programs as well up until my 30s when I finally had electroconvulsive therapy and that really did some some good things for me, uh, which we can certainly get into some more. Uh, but three years ago, a, a article went out in U.S. Lacrosse Magazine, now USA Lacrosse Magazine, uh, called Lacrosse Saved My Life, A Story of Friendship and Survival. And it's where I went public to about 500,000 people in my community, the lacrosse community, about how the friends that I've made in lacrosse and the experience I have as a referee, as an official in lacrosse at high school and, and college in the U.S. has been a stable point for me to enact recovery uh, on my terms from wow. suicidal thinking, from depressive thinking, and certainly from uh, generalized anxiety disorder as well. And so now I use that, that kind of propelled me into writing and, and starting my blog of, of, of mental agility. And that is for me, a, an add on to mental toughness. The way I like to talk about this, especially to, to young men and young women in sports who want to advance to the next level is that mental toughness is great when you know what the heck you're doing. Right. That's great for collegiate athletes and professional athletes who have developed those skills over the years and know how to handle stuff in different game situations and challenging situations. Um, but mental agility for me is, is, is the starting point for that. It's teaching people how you think, why you think, recognizing stressors in the body and recognizing that you can't separate necessarily or very well, in, in my estimation, what's happening off the pitch or off the field and what's happening on it and that these things influence each other. So if we can learn how to recognize stress in our body, distorted thinking patterns, uh, we can then find a better way, a better solution, a better angle of attack against those thoughts that we don't necessarily like. And it's much more likely that we're going to be more competitive in our sport of choice, but also we're much more likely to approach those life situations in a healthier fashion. And when we really do need to put our head down and put a helmet on and barrel through it, we will have exhausted every other option but that. So that's that's my mental agility pitch. In, in a, wow. That's my elevator pitch. And I'd love to talk more about that, about how I use those things on and, and off uh, the field in my case. Yeah, it's funny because I'm actually trying to work on my own elevator pitch at the moment in different contexts. It's interesting when you have to have that self-belief and self-image reflection when you actually have to do a pitch all based around your own monologue in your head and <laughs> as you said breaking it out and there's so much to unpack there but uh we're very honored to have the time to do that and like the first thing that jumps to mind which i suppose nearly coincidentally is just one thing that i had recently was maybe the biggest turning point maybe as you said with the shock therapy maybe is that right in saying that like would that be um normal in the sense of treatment in the US? Uh, or would it be seen as something that would be a bit more, I suppose, particular or specific depending on the individual? So it's one of these things, I was not a um, convinced of this procedure. You know, I had read about it, certainly. Um, part of my my thing is I, I love studying psychology and, and really yeah, trying, yeah. To, trying to figure out what the opponent in my head is really doing in ways I can I can attack it in, in a good fashion. Uh, and I had read about electroconvulsive therapy and now the newer kid on the block, transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS, uh, wow. ketamine, ketamine therapy. These all kind of go in. Yeah, yeah, and no, I've heard of some of these later ones, yeah. So the, the the problem with ECT, as it's known, electroconvulsive therapy is is uh, if you've ever seen the U.S. movie with like, Jack Nicholas. Is, 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 is that essentially what it would have been like? Where you'd strap like the old school strapped to your yeah. chest. Yeah, so that's that's the one where one flew over the cuckoo's nest is the US movie that people might be most familiar with, where they or a beautiful mind also, where they, they shock you with yeah, yeah. no muscle relaxants, no anesthetic, no nothing, and you Whoa. basically seize on the table and they do that several times and, and then they're like, We think you're better, and it might just be because you're just totally wigged out from the electricity. Um, that that was the thing back in like the 70s and 80s and that is not the case anymore and i talk thank about, god we're in the generation oh, that we're geez. in yeah it's it's um but that's also that was my understanding of it um and and when i went to the hospital i was at emory which is a, a pretty um prestigious <laughs> health facility here in the u.s and the southeast anyway and I'm, I'm in a psychiatric ward again for the sixth time uh for another depressive episode um at 31 uh, was the time, I'm 33 now. And I had a room full of doctors and medical professionals who were like, you have treatment resistant depression. You have been on just about every type of antidepressant, antipsychotic, um, 
medication that we have and you're still having suicidal thoughts every day, this is still wearing you down every day, we think ECT is going to pull you out of this much more quickly and lessen your suicidal impulses. And I told a room full of doctors with like professional medical degrees to F off because I, I thought I knew my brain pretty well. Um, and then I went back into my room and, and, and slept and, but I couldn't sleep and they were going to give me, uh, they were going to put me under for that's part of the procedure now. So I was like, well, at the very least they're going to knock me unconscious and I kind of want to be unconscious. So let's give this a roll and, and spend some of my time not being, not thinking. Um, but no, it's a, it's an incredibly safe procedure. Now it is incredibly regulated. Um, they do a battery of tests, physical, uh, and, uh, memory as well. There's a little bit of short-term memory loss with it, um, which I did experience, but no, it's, um, it's, it, 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 for, for me, after going through, I did 11 rounds of this. So I, I was in, I had a seizure induced Whoa, heavyweight in fighter. 11 times over a period of about nine weeks. Okay. <sighs> And they still don't really know, and that's the thing, unfortunate thing about mental illness, about why certain treatments work the way they do. Yeah, exactly, people, yeah. Right? I'd love, hopefully, 100 years down the road, we have a better understanding yeah, of that. Yeah, But then, again, it's nearly the exciting part of where we are in the journey. <laughs> like, that's another side of the story at the yeah. same time, that we're so lucky in that transition of waves of change now that we're fortunate that we're, please God, on a positivity wave that, you know, we are able to talk about these things and help inspire and do all the good that you're doing as you say so it's great but like at the same time it's still very traditional in its own um structure and the pattern would scare the life out of anyone and to share context like i only came out of inpatient treatment uh for my second round of hospitalization um probably about three weeks ago now Ooh. and one of the treatments that was discussed or mentioned to another patient was uh, exactly that and it scared the life out of me i was terrified as you said the whole thing in my head was literally the same language and just didn't want to go near it and it just freaked me out because it's like anything you're not alone in the physical nature of being on the ward or in around people in general but you're in your head anyway and then not to mind to think oh we're coming at you with more shocks and it's like <laughs> you know, your mind doesn't know what to do with it like it just my my head just flips it's so it's scary and it's 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 true because it's like it's certainly when you're in that spot and you're being asked to make a medical decision for yourself too that and you that's don't it. have you're you're not in the right frame of mind that's why we're there yeah <laughs> so that's a challenge in and of itself but part of me what I, I I was just I was like I I had tried everything else and I had tried and had a good ten year suicide attempts really good coping mechanisms for things but you know from the time i was 15 until the time i was 31 having this procedure this is why i talk about it i had had a, at least one suicidal thought every day and wow. in the in the case of every one of of my experiences multiple times a day sometimes minute by minute and so you think of like i'm trying to deal with this and even when I knew what it was, when I had a diagnosis and I had read about depression and, and talked just not to mind, just at a baseline. Yeah, yeah. Not to mind building on that as I've experienced as well, that, you know, absolutely resilience, I'd say, to be fair, for where you are now. Thank God. Thank you. No wonder where your program has been so successful because in that sense of mental agility, because your mind has been able to take such a pounding over 15 years. And I'm sure, as you say, it still hasn't changed. Like the three things that I have come across, which we'll come to in a minute, maybe that you find your secret successes in and your pillars every day, like are um, the foundation of how you keep going. Like people think, you know, with health or whatever it might be that, you know, oh my God, he felt a bit, you know, sad or depressed and all these things. And then there's a magnetic sense that it's like, oh, you can bring yourself back by just taking a pill. Um, and all of a sudden, then it's like they think, oh, you're better. The minute you realize these things, it's like your mental state changes forever. Um, and more so, like even today, like I had come out of the uh, inpatient treatment, what was it, three weeks ago, as I said, and I was bipolar type two, uh, mm. leaving the hospital. And then today, I actually got a discharge copy of my first hospitalization, which was back in July of 2019. And that actually wasn't confirmed verbally to me, but on the discharge report, it had multiple uh, personality disorders as well. So essentially I have two, and I know there's more coming. Um, yeah. At the same time, with all these things, it's a matter of, as you said, just 
narrowing the field of how to actually get into your head. Um, so maybe to get into your head, uh, literally as we are, uh-huh. um, the coin toss here leaves me with the decision of either going towards lacrosse or going towards actually poking into your head. But we may come back I'll to I'll go either way. Yeah, I'm good either way. It's like that. <laughs> Even we play ball, right? So here, for those yep. of you who are listening on audio, I have what would be a ball for the same, I suppose, sport, if you're to nearly, what would you call it? Um, mold the two in Ireland and the US. So in Ireland, you have hurling, which is the Gaelic we, sport. And I think closest might be hur- uh, might be field hockey in ours. Yeah, but even, I suppose, what we're trying to say, even there was a video I saw years ago that, her like trying to explain hurling is like nearly a combination of all three. Uh, I get you. I get you. Yep. So like the lacrosse has that level of uh, its own right, and then as you said, the ground level. Of, sorry, you have the high, higher states of lacrosse, and then you have the lower skills with ice hockey, and then hurling is nearly a mix between the two. That's um, fair. But at the same time, maybe what I'm trying to see is introducing the first three things that I saw reading your article, as you mentioned, was the three pillars that you. Uh, support yourself every day with. Maybe do you want to lead with that point? Certainly. I'm, I'm curious which one stuck, struck at so, it the most. The I'll, one that I'll stuck with them. me, sorry, yeah, you're right in thinking. I'm actually, after adopting it for the last week, I'd say, to be honest, is uh, the medication, the therapy, and uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a couple things, and I, I start with the medication piece on this one because I think that the, the the science is done as to whether or not this stuff is effective. There's been more than enough uh, studies. There's been more than enough anecdotes. There's been more than enough personal reports on the effectiveness of this medication. The challenge is finding the right medication dosage combination of medications for individuals, right? So that was my, say, 10-year experience. I'm now currently on 80 milligrams of Prozac a day. I have an emergency clonopin in the event that my panic attack is, I don't recognize it ahead of time. And I have that. And I also have uh, five sleeping pills of trazodone, 25 milligrams. I keep the rest. Uh, My family has the rest. So I don't have an option for taking those if I have a really dark night one night and taking the entire bottle, right? So I self-limit on that bit because it's, it's it's a downer, right? So being safe on that front. Uh, But what medication for me does Again, speaking from my experience, but I, I do think this is fairly evident for folks once they find what, what is working for them, is that it gives you mental space from whatever it is you're dealing with, right? Yeah, so it's exactly. very difficult. When I was 16, I, I was in martial arts, uh, and I was training to, to do MMA, kickboxing, stuff like that, and my instructor would repeatedly punch me in the face, and I would just kind of stand there trying to find the perfect blocking attack move or whatever, and he'd just be punching me in the face again, and he'd be like, Gordon, are you ever going to move? I'm like, I can do that? He's like, yeah, if I try this, you can bob this direction, and now you can just hit me unopposed. And I'm like, wow, that's a much better idea than getting hit in the face repeatedly. And that's what, for me, medication does initially, is it gives you some space to recognize the oncoming train uh, and step to the side of the freaking thing so that you might you might get a little bit of it but you're not getting that full-blown attack right on you that puts you in that stress state that you're only able to deal with that. So that's the the medication piece. It gives me some space to be able to deal with things, recognize when a depressed uh, episode might be coming on, or certainly if a panic attack or anxiety attack might be coming on as well. The therapy piece is still huge, right? That is a thing where I think everybody needs a neutral corner person in their life that is a professional. Again, I I go back a little bit to boxing in this end is when you're in the fight, you can't really recognize the best things that you can do in that moment. So what do you do? The bell rings, you go there, your cut man puts some stuff on you and your corner man goes, Hey, he's dropping his left hand. Every time he comes over with an overhead, right. You can swap that and, and come in with an uppercut or something. It's like, Oh, I didn't really notice that when I'm in the fight, but this person on the outside can recognize some things and helps me put me in a better position then uh, to affect the strategy that I want to affect and come out victorious, whether that's against a physical opponent uh, or in the case of what we're talking about here, that the mental opponent um, that really just wants to see us suffer. And so the therapist to me is just that neutral corner person. And the, again, challenge similar to medication is you've got to find somebody that you vibe with. Um, that is, I've had some really great therapists, fortunately. I've also had some really un 
skilled therapist, I think might be the better way to put it, maybe a less experienced therapist. It's one of those things. Yeah, where, yeah. Like, and I agree with that in the sense that yeah, certain like people you connect with, you know, as yeah. you say, they're all in their own discipline and they all have their own qualifications. But at the same time, you know, people like nearly have to respect that you don't get on with everyone. No, and, and that's just it, which is why when I tell folks, uh, especially, you know, as I was speaking with um, a mother a few days ago who was trying to get her daughter in, into some therapy, and I'm like, like look, look, get her into that. Um, and one of the questions to ask when you're right in there is, is like, if you're not feeling a good vibe, this is kind of like a first date. Uh, in this situation, unlike in a, in, a, in a first date or a blinded or something like that, at the end of it, you can be like, look, I'm not really feeling this. Can you refer me to somebody else? Like, you don't get that in a dating situation. Yeah, yeah. That is <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, oh yeah, no, I think my friend Jennifer might be good for you. No, you don't, you don't get that. That's a little insulting, but it's not insulting in a therapeutic sense. They are used to that because that's, that's kind of what happens. So I... Um, had a phenomenal therapist in uh, in Alpharetta, Georgia, for a number of years in my early 20s. I moved to Baltimore, uh, and I found uh, a woman who who speaks up there. And then I moved back to Georgia to be close to my family, close to my yeah. friends. And I still connect now. We do Zoom calls or phone calls uh, with this therapist from Maryland because we had developed such a, a very good therapeutic connection. I'm like, this is this is worthwhile. I don't talk to her every week. It's not, more not alone a, to even talk about that part of the world. It's a beautiful part of the world as well. Oh, it's lovely. I, I dig it. And and it's just yeah. So that's that's the thing is it, once if you vibe with the therapist, that's that's a good thing. And and, and even with the level of as you were talking about, like even when you use the comparison of like a first date or anything like that, it keeps the narrative and especially through a mental health journey, like having the support of someone that's been there through it all with you. Mm-hmm. Even the fact that you're paying a fee and all the rest of it, um, it's probably even more valuable than some relationships or some romantic situations because at the same time they're going to stay there through everything you know they will be there every week as my therapist always said to me rory if you just turn up every day and keep that consistency no matter what you do it's like he used the analogy of rowing the boat even if i'm there shooting holes in the back of it trying to jump out of the back of the boat he'll he'll pull you back in yeah and that's where it's one of those things. There's no additional baggage there, yeah. right? Like so, it's it's they're very much a screen that we're you have cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy, positive psychology, constructive psychotherapy, and dialectical behavioral therapy. I take all of that into a into a little bit like less kind of maybe like intellectual side, more of the practical side for young people, and be yeah. like, this is all the skills I wish I had learned when I was 18, because if this would hold you on that. Yeah. Uh, point that even comes to mind even one of the ones that i've done recently well i'm starting probably more so to actually deep dive on it would be dialectical and um i've been doing it for the last year and a half since i left um my first hospitalization um but maybe the fact that you're probably a much better um what would you call it, speaker on this so far in your journey that just to summarize it, as you said, to give it to the audience, maybe in summary, as if people haven't heard this before, and like how I was even listening to it earlier resonated so well because you explained it so clearly. So do, do you mind if that's something we can just oh, roll into? That yeah, we can give that piece just so we can unpack it to um, help people that don't understand it, especially for like some of the stuff even this week with me, some family members, you know, because naturally, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's always nearly the victim of mental health that we're, we are the victims essentially in the epicenter of it all, but the wave still vibrates back out to family members and friends. And a lot of it is very important for anyone that's listening out there that if it is someone either you are affected yourself, or if you're in that network of someone that you feel that you might be able to help, this next piece would be very, very inspirational in that sense of where you might go uh, and how you might go about it. Certainly. So, yeah, to, to dive into into dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT for short, uh, they, they it's taught as as skills based training, right? Which is why I like doing this in particular for athletes because they're like, "Ooh, new skill. Let me let me like learn that bit." But that was one of the biggest things I learned was like even in the last few weeks where. I'm on sodium at the moment. That's the only medication specifically prescriptively I've been taking. Um, now, a lot of the stuff I've been taking outside of it, even here, looking at my toys beside me here are all non-prescriptive. Um, but like anything, even like some of the stuff like Hanaflex is all like, you know, natural. It's all, as you say, the minute the paradigm shifted for me in the last few weeks when it was like, Rory, it's mood stabilizers. 
boom, I'm a sports scientist by trade in college. I was like, let's go. Yeah. Like as you said, that was the paradigm shift for a sporting context to now me now seeing this. How does it help optimally enhance performance? And when you hear those words, you're like, whoa. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it, it does help me. I think DBT more so than, than maybe any of the other therapies I've done over the years is it, it externalizes my mental illness. And I, I always call it an, an opponent, right? And it's, it's one of those things of um, – it's why I call myself a depressive, not a person who has depression or I live with depression. I'm a depressive. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more of an active thing. Yeah. Um, and so with DBT in particular is I've written about this a good bit and, and spoken about it a, a good bit more recently is it's, it's, it's sort of the new kid on the block now for, for therapies globally. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy is probably still the gold standard of empirical training stuff on there, but DBT is, is rising up because it's, it's, it's life skills that, dang it, I wish this was taught in elementary school because it works for anybody with a freaking brain and who can recognize a level of stress about their bodies. And, and it's even like that. one of the things that I came across recently that it's essentially like to simplify from what I would understand so far in that journey is that everything in education, be it in primary or elementary in the US, that we're just not taught emotional awareness. No, and it's it's one of those things where I, I I like it in that a lot of these, especially when I'm speaking to, to young adolescents as well, they're like, this feels like life skills. And I go, it does. Have you ever been taught this? And they're like, no. I'm like, this is why I'm it's like this stuff feels it's incredibly simple. It feels yeah, so yeah. common sense. That, that that that's the difference between everything that I've come across in the mental health journey that Everything that I keep going searching for, maybe in the research, I love researching, as you said, like with psychology, that's the exciting part of just tracking the thought, like, and actually following that train of thought. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when you actually come back to your three points on therapy, um, medication and exercise, like, that's, that's like saying <laughs> to someone, get up in the morning and have your, like, meal, have your shower and go to work. Yeah, it's it's still so incredibly simple, which is why, again, it, it gets to that kind of deceptive point and folks are like, ah, I don't really have to hit on this bit. But look, here, here's the thing. Like, so breath work, for example, right, that, that comes right. around of of that's a thing that I use every single day because I have generalized anxiety disorder and I've got to be able to find ways to continue to perform and continue to focus in my day job. I'm oh. an apprentice electrical lineman. So I'm in a job where it's, it's safety conscious and for my safety and, and my crew safety as well. So me having a panic attack on the job, not really good. So, hey, so I'd rather have a panic attack in the safety of my own home, not like out in like up with power lines, right? Not good. Now, when I learned about breath work of how at the very base level is if you have an inhale and then you exhale and your exhale is longer than your inhale, that's tripping a lot of biochemical sensors in your brain to trigger the relaxation response and lower your heart rate, lower your the level of excitement in your body. And all it is is a longer exhale relative to your inhale. And so for me, I typically do a four second deep breathy breath in and then a six second exhale. That fits well for me. It's all in the belly, it's out of the chest. So the belly bit, and that's telling your body to relax. Like you don't breathe heavily and rapidly when you're chilling on the beach with a cocktail, right? You're just not. And, and even to like add to like, I keep coming up with this phrase recently. I keep hearing it all week, the circadian rhythm in the sense mm -hmm. when you're sleeping. Um, but that's even to just add to the rhythm of the breath work, yeah. As you say, like the four pillars nearly of uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, now that we're talking about mindfulness and breath work essentially is all where like one of the things that I've practiced and nearly taken my own little twist on it is some of the Joe Dispenza work with the pineal gland in the spine. So mm -hmm. like that, even when you're doing the breath work and then on the second breath, holding the breath in. Yep. And then like that, uh, I'm sure you're well aware of this, as you said, it just comes, as you said, like nearly a bubbly, fizzy cocktail to the top uh -huh. and all of these chemicals and your head just goes whoa and it's 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 simple like the and and the thing that, oh, that the, and, so, and the um, best part about it is is it's free it's it's free you're always it's always with you 
right? That's also the reason I do this bit, but it's also, it's, it's a recognizable thing of, of it goes brain body if I'm doing it intentionally, but also body brain if I'm realizing. If I realize I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly breathing, that's really my first sign that I might be panicked about something and yeah. I can address that in the moment. The best example I have of this is, and again, talking with like the familial things that happen down the line for mental illness is, um, I was with my, my father at a conference in Las Vegas, right? It was a conference that I had to present at for multiple days for my old job in Las Vegas. I do not like large crowds, bright blinking lights, loud freaking noises, and a lot of shit going on. Very, very I, stimulating. And that's, that's Vegas. And like, I was, go, I was flying there going like, I know I'm not going to enjoy this. This is not my environment. This is just something I have to do because this is where the conference is at. Uh, and so again, I'm, I'm trying to be like, let's be open to some experiences. My dad and I were, we're going to gamble a little bit at the Bellagio and the whole time we're walking through the casino, I'm doing breath work. I'm doing my breath holds. Yeah. I'm doing my inhales, exhales because I am overstimulated. And so I'm using this DBT skill. Like even one of the other ones I carry here on my desk with me, like would just be some like sport tape. And I, I'd tape my fingers as if I'm like, you know, even if it was on a call here, yeah. I'd, I'd simply just as if you're just like injured in the sense that yeah. you're like keeping yourself present. Yeah, exactly. A wrap in your hand, essentially think it's all these things that if I think like I'm in the middle of in the middle of a performance uh, situation in a game. All of a sudden, your mind starts to come back to reality. It's just yeah. little tiny points that, as you said, with the breath or whatever it might be, it's unbelievable yeah. how quickly you can ident identify these things. But it's not easy. Like that, that has been after a lot of practice. And it's it it does take a, a, it it you're right it takes a lot of practice just like any skill to make it more automatic and that's where right. I've gotten on that and that's also why I'm on the lookout for other skills that I can incorporate one of the other ones so it's like my dad was like wait a minute like we were eating a dinner last night he was like you did great in there I was like yeah I was doing breathing exercises the whole time he was like you were what I was like I, did, I had no idea like you said it's 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 invisible nobody knows you're doing this um, but the other interesting one that I picked up I forget from whom I think a, a neuroscientist Huberman possibly of the idea of when you're when you're anxious right is you get tunnel vision. I certainly do. Is yep. you get this yeah, constricting yeah, 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 feeling yeah, yeah, of just yeah. like, ah. And so he's just like, again, the, the idea here is, is you can use some human physiology to attack that. And so if you open your eyes wide and start looking out of your peripheral vision, you are now intentionally widening your physiological space of vision. And that is, again, another thing that when you're relaxed, you have a wider field of vision. So just by doing that intentionally, you're telling your brain that you are clearly not in a stressful situation. Yeah, exactly. You have, yeah. You have time. Because, like your, your mind and a lot of the stuff I've done in the last few months has been psychedelic, as you said, with earlier uh, treatment methods like with ketamine and whatnot. I did uh, Cambo and Sananga, which are all natural Oh, every, to be fair, even as I said here with the Canaflex that I have for even massaging, like yeah. everything is natural in its own form when it's done best. And like in that sense, like with even those natural states, like I love the phrase where your internal is a reflection of your external or is it vice versa anyway, whichever way it is. Yeah. That it's essentially where your mind can't differentiate between nearly what is real and what isn't. You know, when you're tapping into the subconscious mind, your mind, as you said, literally can go tunnel vision and all of a sudden it could be the same way that you'd wake up from a scary dream. Boom. In that sense that if you could actually, as you said, nearly while you're awake, please God be able to go, oh, hold on a second. If I open my eyes a bit here, it's like if you're actually asleep and you were going through a scary dream, if you actually opened your eyes, it's the same thing in a different way. It, it, it is, and it, it shows drastically, and I think this is one of the things of just how much of effect the brain has on the body, and I think the biggest thing for me, DBT specifically, but also just kind of in my, my own uh, journey with mental illness, is that the body can influence the mind just as well, and oh, if, you tap in, if you can tap into those things a, a good bit, so... Um, uh, probably uh, one of my biggest ones is, is still using cold therapy. That one is yeah, also kind of getting up. Athletes are using this, and it's like when but I start seeing th people even, use even stuff at the professional level. Is, uh, yeah. DPs and all these other things. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me because it's just like I, I want stuff that's going to work no matter what. Exactly. And so cold therapy, uh, ice packs on the cheeks, on the on on the oh, major veins it. in the carotids that triggers the mammalian dive reflex. Every human being is a mammal. And so what that Go does is- there. All, so just, yeah. I'll give you an example there. Yeah. The reason I carry DP on my level like that is six years ago, my 
um, physical stress manifested and actually came out on my left hand side and literally every day now granted i'm a much better place these days but it still can easily nearly with the level of the theme of this podcast roll over in emotions like crazy where i would even think as i mentioned with the disorders that i mentioned at the start i'm much more up towards the borderline like a sense would be like that the motions are really really intense really fast anyway as you said when you get that narrow tunnel vision intensity goes up with emotions it you can feel it in your head like literally your head is just like a war zone mm-hmm. and to reflect that as you said i would nearly be walking around putting on dp on my face or i'd be rubbing it down just to cool it down it's like you were going out to a game and you just be like that nearly not with moisturizer but actually try and cool the head down um the one thing i learned recently is that it's an older injury to use heat on it but you're right in the sense that i suppose this is where i'm trying to think on newer techniques to try and help it as well that would the colder like ice packs and whatnot work on it if it gets really hot really fast like you know in performance like so, when you come off a game and say say a muscle is tired or whatever i don't know i'm I'm curious just as well in my own experience it's been especially with dbt so they call it the the dbt loves acronyms right uh or mnemonics whatever they want to say on that one. Uh, <laughs> but but, it, but it, it's tip it's temperature intense exercise, paired muscle relaxation and paced breathing tip. And so the idea being is when you notice your stress, do one of those four or a multiple of them. And so temperature can either be hot. What's ironic is where I am from is Tipperary. Ha, there you go. So it fits in (laughs) nicely there. And the, the, the thing that I've found, and this has been an interesting thing for me is, uh, even now I am doing it more for my physicality, but a year ago I I spent about six months just doing cold showers every freaking morning and not just like for a little bit for like a good three, four, five minutes in there, just getting every part of me and shivering and breathing and doing that. And the idea behind this, the more I've, I've gotten into the, the psychology of it and, and the body physiology of it is you you're priming your body intentionally so you know you're safe Yeah, completely. To, expe- to experience something stressful early on in your day. And so now you've kind of stacked the deck in your favor from a body side of things of like, I've already endured something pretty unpleasant and I got through it and I breathed through it and this was okay. And then I got to turn on the hot water and eh, this was awesome. So that when I have that weird, like unpleasant work meeting or something at one o'clock and I get that comment that kind of like weasels into my ear and stays in my brain and I can't freaking, you can breathe your way out of that yeah, as exactly. well. So you're training yourself in those It's nearly like baptizing yourself every morning in the sense that like, you know, there's yeah. some of the stuff in Europe. I'm not sure. I'm sure you may have come across some Wim Hof with the deep yes, breathing I've, and all I've the been rest using of it. Oh yeah. And like that stuff, like essentially, as you said, like with priming there, when you mentioned that, that's Tony Robbins. Like mm-hmm. in the sense that when you prepare yourself like a champion every day, that could be um, taken in different facets depending on each individual as we're all different. But like coming from a sport background that we both have, like I would treat myself as an elite athlete every day, regardless of what that is, in the sense that trying to set the tone early, get up at five and have that built um, foundation, as you said, leading into the day because like anything once you have preparation every day it doesn't matter what you hit you're not going to always feel the best like that's the interesting point on this because you'll wake up nearly the one i heard this week where champions are defined is that when they wake up with the dirt or dust on them they just dust it off and they go again i like that i like that a lot and the the challenge piece for me on this one and this is also where because i do speak to a lot of and then like up and coming athletes who want to take that step to the next level either collegiately or in some cases professionally is, you know, what do I do on my bad days? And it's, it's, you still do what you can. And for me on my bad days, that very well might mean I get out of my bed and walk to my couch. And then I spend the rest of my day there. And the only plus for me is that I'm not spending my entire day in my bed. Correct. And I have to chalk that up as my win. And that, if anything, as I've gotten older, has been the thing. Like when I was in my young 20s, I'd be like, oh, I'm terrible. This isn't like this. I can't, you know, I'm not doing anything. This depression sucks. I, I suck. This is terrible. Other people are doing things. I'm not. Whereas now I'm a, I'm a little bit more gentle and graceful with myself in those moments of just like, you know, sometimes I'm going to wake up and depression gets a vote. 
it gets a vote and sometimes it, it comes in hard and swing in and I don't have the time to do my things that that'll alleviate the, the worst of it. And so sometimes I got to cocoon up uh, and, and, and just endure that little bit. And the thing that I've, I've grown into is saying that I've got a, a, a close group of individuals, uh, uh, five of them really most in my family um, that can check in on me at any time of day, ask me, how are you doing really? And they know that I, I get- One thing I'm trying to, uh, I have a couple on that, but I, I'm definitely building towards that and you're lucky. Yeah, it's, it's my sister and I, uh, those, she's, she's kind of my first confidant in that one and, and me to her as well. Uh, but the, the big thing is that I, I get no more than two days not leaving my place, right? If I'm not yeah, working yeah. or something like that. And that's, that's the thing of, of after that, it's people have the full right and authority, whether I want to or not, uh, to come pull me out of wherever I'm going to. Because after that, then the- then depression really starts winning in, in that sense. So a lot of what I've grown into now as, as a 33-year-old that I did not do in my early 20s, and certainly not in my teens, is rely on other people when I am not reliable to myself and right. to recognize that I'm not always going to be in a great mental state to be able to make the best possible decision. So I have to offload some of that and be okay with not always being in that championship mentality, but that I also have a team. You'll right. know you'll return to it, like, and in yeah. that way, it's interesting that if you look at even performance in the sense of like, even as I just take my fingers there, just to like give the scene a bit more context that every athlete, even as you said, speaking to up and coming or already uh, established athletes will never have always that level of like high performance in them. There uh-huh. always will be down days, like, because like anything, if they come off a big weekend and they've lost a big game, they will hit a really hit like they will hit a low and yep. the, the, the team needs to be there as you said supporting that environment and it's interesting that in that context as you said with the confidants and having people around you and all of these things it's it's amazing how the world is changing but like the one lovely point on these journeys that connects like outside of our own mental health journey is like even with sport like how sport gives people that space to actually just perform um, and that's maybe where the really interesting point that I mentioned that I managed to hold off talking about for 45 minutes uh, leads me into in the sense of your own refereeing journey. Uh So like, even as you say to yourself to lead you into this story, like you're very compassionate and very honest with yourself. And one of the nicest points that I've learned recently, which might help maybe for your own reflection uh, following this conversation is a Hawaiian technique called Hopo Ono, which essentially is for compassion essentially all you do is you just say sorry please forgive me i love you i combine that with my own religious and buddhist practice every morning uh, Mm -hmm. or during the day whenever i need it as you say you know whenever you need these pieces but leaving yourself to have a timeout maybe was probably one of the nicest introductions i could think of leaving you into your refereeing career well, thank you for that, and 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 I I'm, I'm looking forward to diving more into uh, that Hawaiian philosophy as well. I think it, it dovetails very nicely into my experiences with getting reciprocal benefits. Hundred percent. But the it's funny on my end because I'll, I'll do these coaching workshops or seminars where I talk to them about recognizing stress in their in their in their players and ways to combat their own negative self-talk and and speak in ways that are more likely to get players to do what they need to do. Uh, as they're developing their skills, as opposed to just like yelling stuff at them, which rarely works, <laughs> but is easy to do. Uh, and I say, it's like, look, it's but weird. Every I, word that goes out like that actually is stored in the body as trauma. Like that's the right. Way. And and the, the the odd thing for me is 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 I'll I'll be the first to admit it when I do it with the like coaching things is especially when I'm speaking with lacrosse coaches is like when I played lacrosse I hated playing lacrosse, which is really, really? freaking weird to say, because my experience was I was always like on the field in a very angry state, and yeah, whether true. we won or lost, if I perceived myself as making one type of error in any space, big or small, I hated myself even more. I couldn't enjoy any yeah. of the experience well, I'd be the regardless same. I'd of be the very, result. The, the immediate self-talk would be so aggressive. like Brutal. And so I'm like, and, and then I, I tell folks, I'm like, but then I found refereeing lacrosse. 
And suddenly the, the, the pressure changed and the mentality changed. And I found something where, oddly enough, what we say in, a, in officiating, you're expected to start off perfect and improve from there. <laughs> I love it. Which is a difficult, like, I'm a perfectionist by nature, so how the hell could I possibly yeah. enjoy this thing? And it's like, <laughs> it's like, I already knew that everybody at the game, players, coaches, parents, fans, whatever, already expected me to be terrible. So that took one bit of, of, of stuff off. But then the other bit was that I had some unusual superpowers as a result of my mental illnesses that I could leverage on the field as an official. So a lot of officiating is human interactions and dealing with people who are upset with whatever you may di you did or didn't do, right? So you can never really win in that space. But the interesting thing for me is I could always flip it on my head. If a coach yelled at me, you're a terrible referee. In my head, I could go, no, 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 no. I'm a terrible human being. That's what you Whoa. wanted to go with. I can always, my depression, the stuff I've said to myself is so much worse than anybody has ever yeah, said oh, in any yeah, game. And so I could always one up. And so I'm always sitting here going just like, no, no, no. I always win those interactions in my head. I could be so much worse to myself than anybody can be. So these things could affect me less. And then the interesting thing for me that I learned is that that then paralleled into my work with mental agility is as an official in any sport, you were always the center of this swirling storm of chaos. And so I got practice regularly thousands of times a year yeah, yeah, yeah. practicing thousands of times a day i'd say nearly a time yeah practicing how to be calm amongst insanity and then that led me into learning okay so how can i how can i do better at that like how can i learn how to how to calm people down more effectively how can i stay calm in these situations and that led me into different therapies and then i was like wait a minute i can use this with my anxiety i can use this with my, i can use this with my suicidality and it's like oh and then then they feed back into using that on the field as an official yeah. and so one made me much better at the other, and then the other made me much better at the other one. And it just it boosted my ability to to just calm myself down and just about anything. And that's what I do with mental agility is I teach coaches and players how to chill out when stuff's going crazy. Because if you can do that 1% better than your opponent, you're much more likely to make a better decision and much more likely to win. Because it's like that state of like calm body, calm mind. But at the same time, as you say, when you're saying all those phrases, I heard a really good uh, piece written from one of my friends um, that will be on the podcast very soon, soon. Shane, thank you for that. Where essentially it was all like where you're talking about the say strains of thought with the tide coming in and out. And all of a sudden the storm, like we've had a storm front nearly not too hectic this week in Ireland, but even how simple I try to describe to people the fact that when the weather is even overcast, as you talk about, even with the stimulation of the event in Las Vegas, my whole world, as you said, like the, the chaos and everything, the intensity goes up, everything gets much faster, as you say, in every way, happy, sad, angry. And in that manner, then when you come back to nearly the end of a week, it literally is nearly a Monday to Friday. And when I'm working naturally, as it would be in, say, just any role with people, that that's the beauty in it, because you have, like anything, a day even that starts it has its peak the sun comes up and the sun goes down again what happens that cycle keeps going round and round the most important thing is as you say earlier nearly as long as you know the three points to do every day that you can give yourself the best chance every day every day there's no two days are going to be the same no, but I'm, I, I, and I, I liken it to, I say stacking the deck in my favor. I'm going to try certainly at the end of the day, like that's why I've improved my sleep hygiene over the years. Yeah. Um, but the idea here is just like, you know, what, what can I do to put myself in the best possible position for tomorrow? And that leads me into certainly making much better decisions today. And that is beneficial to people, whether they have a mental illness or not. <laughs> and the challenging thing, like I heard uh, a great guy who did uh, this comedy show called the great depression, um, uh, Gary Oldman and he, heard Gary, yeah. Gary Goldman. And he, um, he, he ended his special great. He was just like, the one thing I wish they would have taught me is that life it's every freaking day. Yeah. And you can fight against that. And I have, and I've, come up bloody and broken and, and, and having to, to recover in, in many, many different hard ways, or you can work with that and be like, all right, this is reality. 
but there, there, there are tools, there are skills, there are strategies I can, I can approach this with, and I can live in a way that makes sense to me. And then from my personal bit, uh, you know, my mission statement is, is on my website. It's very clear. It's why I get up in the morning. I highly encourage anybody to write down a mission statement for their life. It can change from year to year, day to day, even if yeah, you're working on time. it. But mine is I share different methods of thinking to help people with and without mental illness live more fulfilling lives. Oh, that's and so, Thank you. And so when I wake up and I know I have a bad day, I, when I was younger, would be like, I've got to endure this. This is going to be brutal. I got to keep this silent. Now I go, ooh, this might be an interesting thing to write about. And, yeah, and, yeah. and ma maybe I can take some of this and take some of this pain and make it purposeful. And that ooh, and has taken the positivity out of the darkness, you're right. Yeah, that has helped me out of so many more kind of darker places um, over the last several years uh, than anything. Of just it gives me a better sense of, of agency over what's going on in my day to day, but also knowing just like, I don't have total control over it and I don't expect to ever, but I, I'm not completely powerless either. But like, that's the sense, like when you're going on to the field, like that you'll never have full control. No, no. And th th that's just it. And that's what I train referees on. I'm just like, you gotta be okay with stuff going on that you, you can't address. And, and we talk about it with players too. control the controllables. All you really control in life is your reaction to things. And I take a step beyond that when I say, look, we can either react, which is instinctual and sometimes not always the best, or we can respond. And even with instinctual, as you said, it's nearly habitual. Like people have yeah. that groove every day. Whereas like, even as you say, when you carve out the morning, maybe with the priming that I discussed earlier briefly, as you said, with the nighttime hygiene, it's mad. Like even the last few months, I've nearly just deleted anything past 7 p.m. and just go prepare for the following day and they'll go to bed. Like I just go, right. I literally work with and, the like natural state of the world. The minute yeah. the sun goes down in my head, I'm like the natural way is happening. And even one of the best points that I learned about this recently is that your natural melatonin for people that don't know what melatonin is, is essentially a natural sleeping tablet. So your body starts to get tired at that time anyway. So like what happens who normally would go to bed at this time, a child. Yeah. Coming back to an inner voice, your mind is an inner child trying to just juggle life. And as you say, react to the toys that come out of every day. Yeah, and it's always and... going to be chaotic, but that's the beauty in the simplicity when you pull it back from all the craziness of what we discussed to literally two guys having a chat about life. It's that yeah. simple. And it's be, it's learned to be okay with that. And if, they, if there's a message that I've, I've learned uh, deeply is, 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 starting to be more okay with that and embracing that inner child and embracing the difficulties of things as an opportunity of just like, you know what? Um, I am not going to fight this the way society has told me to fight this or the way I learned growing up. It's exactly, I have, yeah. I've got the ability to learn some different things, information skills or whatnot, and approach this the way that's healthiest for me. And that's why I love these kind of conversations and why I love sharing a little bit about my story and how I've I've overcome things. Because what I've told this is like, I'm in permanent recovery. I treat myself like an alcoholic. Yeah, that's thing, like I, I'm gonna have depression forever. And even if there is a cure, I honestly don't think I want it. Yeah, well, because that's, that's I've learned a lot. More. Like, I, I don't want to lose the level of the essence of what comes with a lot of this beauty, even in the like most recent times of when I've been in hospital is like skills, like taking the creative side, you know, that creativity, like that's the juices, the flow. Like you literally just said you can do writing, art, poetry. I could lyrically do anything. The level of these talents I never would have seen had it not been for the hardest parts of my life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. ironic. It, it, it is. And that's where, again, I, I talk to folks who are just like, you know what? Life is going to hit you in such weird freaking ways that I can't give you a game plan to hit all that kind of stuff. I can't pave the road for you. Yeah, and exactly. I wouldn't want to pay for me, but I can give you some insight into recognizing when you might run into something hard and give you some techniques to navigate that road. And it's like the one I heard recently where if you were thinking of even a skier coming down a slope, um, I keep using this at the moment, where if you were to tell them, you know, watch out for the trees, 
you know, next thing they're going to go straight into it. It's like anything. Life will carve out that path for you. You just got to trust the process. But at the same time, one thing that we have to be very conscious of in our conscious of in our mental health journey is the processes of mental health are not there yet. The systems that were there before are in very much traditional ways that people taught in the past. So the systems that we're nearly talking about in that now are starting. Like there is, as you said, that trend from CBT to DBT, but it will take a long time for society to actually embed new structures and safety nets for people to be okay and for them to understand how to kind of swing a very old paradigm. Well, it's, it's, it's true. And it's when I tell folks just like, Oh, you did ECT that that's kind of barbaric. And I'm like, well, 400 years ago, if I presented with the same things I was having, the doctor would take a drill and bore a hole into my skull to let the demons out. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that was the best they had right now. This is the best we have. And I'll take a quote from Andrew Solomon who wrote the noonday demon, probably the most expansive look at depression across multiple societies that I've ever read. It's exceptionally good read um, where he says, he's just like, you know what? I'm grateful I'm living in this time because at least we have some, uh, you know, medications. We have some these less invasive things to do, but I would love to be able to time travel 300 years in the future and say, this is what I used to do to manage my mental illnesses and have people go, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's insane. But, but even, even, even one of the most <laughs> modern things there, when you say the word grateful, like I didn't want to bring it in earlier because I wanted to kind of leave it till the end and it has nicely trickled in. And yeah. like, like the biggest solution or the biggest remedy I have found for all of my um, mental illnesses so far is gratitude, like very simply. And I literally, like as I would impulsively just over the years, I take gratitude to the level of just giving it steroids and kicking it right up to the level that it just even goes straight beyond the clouds. Everyone around me never really understands this. There's few people that do. And it's amazing, like even I had a conversation last night that someone said, Rory, it's so refreshing to see and hear people that actually come back with the level of gratitude that you do in a sense of all it needs to be, not that it needs to be what I do every day or every week, like in a sense of properly thanking people, even if people stop and just say the basic words, thank you. And even that way, when I'm saying to that level, that to myself every day with even the types of say affirmations or anything that you might do in spiritual work like people think of oh you go to the church and you say a prayer for someone you're talking to yourself like when you actually dial into it you're literally talking to yourself in your head and people think oh it's crazy if people talk to themselves in a psychiatric setting but it's no different from someone going to the church saying a prayer I couldn't agree more with that. And it's one of those things of, uh, you know, I, I've, I've said already in this talk that I, I treat my depression as an opponent, my anxiety as an opponent. Yeah, I love it. Um, but in, in my younger years, it was a drag out, beat out, very deep rivalry. Now <laughs> it's, a, it's a, now it's a weird, I, I don't think I'll ever get to the point, nor do I want to really to think of my depression, suicidality as a friend, but we're much yeah, more yeah cordial with each other we're, we're much more just like you know what both of us have to go through this life and the fighting has kind of been a pain and has not worked very well for us so how can we you know what if if, if i've got to share a couple of dark days out of the course of a week or a year or whatever okay that's fine i'm gonna have some other ones i'll let i'll feed the dog a little bit in that exactly, case yeah. Um, but it's one of those things of, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for my experiences of, of attempting suicide. And the idea behind that is, I hope talks like this and the work that I'm doing and the work that you're doing can exactly. spare people that kind of pain in the future. And that's just something to be deeply grateful for no matter what. And that's so true, like in the sense of every experience that I've been through, like even like, as you say, with the whirlwind that we might go through in our heads, if we can help share the light and lighten the load for anyone else around us, please God, as you say, it nearly is, as you say, the phrase, when you feed the dog, like there is times like sport or wherever it may be, that you'd be very grateful for that level of intensity, because when you don't have them for example, in the pandemic that we've been through, it's much harder. Like when you have those situations that, as you said, tomorrow you have again this weekend, 
it just allows that time to like more not maybe as a referee be allowing yourself to feed the dog and all the rest of it giving out to players but maybe if it was a player trying to be you know compliant to the ref it might be different but um it's it's just one of those things that like even i find with like intense sport uh, or intense exercise you can just feed the dog even in that sense you can constructively do it in that way and it's even aggressively where i would nearly go down the road of just writing like a lot of the stuff i've seen recently maybe with the level of method acting like if you script some of that stuff please god in time some of my newer thoughts or ideas are to do um videos like one of them actually that i have to finish tonight is your one on failure like how to actually go down the road in your head but then how to piece that apart and actually say well hold on a second if i actually put this back out there as you say with dbt and externalize it people might actually learn something from what i've actually just gone through and and on top of that other people were, I, I always believe this in, in work and in sports, we are collectively smarter than we are individually. 100%. So if the idea, if I could throw the idea out there and then that percolates around a whole bunch of different people, someone else is going to come up with an even better way to address it at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so just doing that already advances the conversation and advances the likelihood of, of solving these problems in a healthier fashion. Exactly. You can't, like, as I say, you know, if you won the lotto, you know, what would you do with it? It's like anything, even with your ideas, you know, it's the same thing. Like, would you hold on to your money um, until essentially your last minute on your last breath? It's like, well, what are you going to do? Bring it with you? You can't do yeah. anything like that. It's the same thing with ideas. If you didn't share your ideas or if you didn't get the thoughts out of your head. And one of the most important things that I learned in the last year was with mental health, especially where it's someone or anyone that's affected that it's, if, it, if it's similar to us where it's quite intense, that having those thoughts in your head is very dangerous. Like that's probably even more dangerous than actually ourselves um, trying to stop it. Because when, when those thoughts set in, it's like affirmations. If those thoughts are sitting in there, they'll sink in as affirmations and it becomes a belief. So you have to, as you said, you have to deconstruct and go, whoa, take that word, externalize it, put it on the table and go, wow. That's what I think. That's exactly it. And that's that's the pitfall that uh, I try to do in my work. And I see also what you're doing in, in your work. And I'm, I'm deeply grateful that, that we're able to, to chat about this kind of stuff. And I'm excited to see what happens as a result of this chat and and also kind of what what you and I can do in, uh, in, a, in a collaborative fashion going forward because yeah, the, the work the work remains. And that's that's part of the, the, the exciting bit about this that I, I get to meet a whole bunch of folks who now from around the around the globe that that are are doing meaningful things in a good and, fashion. And, that, and that's the most interesting point and in collaboration on these journeys. Like, as I said, you're the first um, guest that I've had from the US and please God, it won't be um, the last. As you say, in anticipate, sorry, anticipating into the future, as you say, the endless things that we please God could connect with and time and nature will take its course with those things. It's a brilliant level, as you say, connecting with the journey that I've even had in the short time that I've been doing this so far. It's absolutely astounding how many people you meet mm -hmm. in the sense that oh, when no. you put yourself out yeah. there, it's not easy, but you nearly get comfortable with it. And when you get used to putting yourself into an uncomfortable position, it nearly becomes addictive. Yeah. And that growing part of you just wants more. Oh, well, who else is out there? Is there anyone else that I can help? It's amazing. Yeah, the, the folks that either see my, my semicolon pin or my semicolon tattoo that know what I it's know. about, they, they, they give the little head nod or they're like, you know, what is that? And I go, it's for suicide prevention awareness. And it's like, yeah. oh, and that leads you into another conversation. And, and it's just ultimately it's it's for me becoming more OK with the fact that we are a social species and I'm an introvert and I can still choose to do some stuff with other people and, and find that be much more fulfilling um, rather than my, my usual MO, which is like, let me just be alone or whatnot. Not necessarily. But, but, but I can, even I, I can reach out in the sense that yeah. like where I would find myself being very extroverted, but like some people might see that, but then I could be very introverted as well. I think mental illness doesn't differentiate uh -huh. because you wear different shoes. You know, yeah. when you're feeling good, it's easy to get out and meet people. But when yeah. you don't feel good, like you've no interest in even opening the door or the curtains. Yeah. But so I, I, 
I think the, the the big thing about you know you and I sharing our stories and and folks like us sharing our experiences is it, is it de- decreases significantly the level of shame and being like yeah, you know, exactly. I can I can tell my friends or even just like hey guys that light is strobing over there it's kind of triggering me for a panic attack I'm gonna go outside for a couple minutes and they're like yeah cool do your thing and we still love you right it's yeah. not something that I have to keep hidden and 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 like uh, like you've said shining this light on things is is what it's all about and what I I certainly hope to continue to do. And shining the light on this conversation to wrap it up nicely um, is literally that sense that those words, I love you, are probably the most unused words in the world. And especially with people with mental illness, they are probably the most important words that need to be resonated every time. Because not even with mental illness, just globally, because when people hear that word, it stops them. It hits the heart. We're so driven by our head and we're so prone to acting with our head we forget about our hearts and that's where the best stuff comes from and that's where if we hit the heart as you said or the gut but more the heart in this part to say keep us uh, in tune with the love that there's where the romantic side of this comes out and i could see the romantic side of this as you said flourishing please god in the future so on that note i'd be very grateful and very uh, romantically uh, thinking that this has been a very 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 good conversation and i'm very very grateful for your time um and airing on the side of hope as we said shining a light on this please god if anyone has any issues or has any difficulties with anything that we've discussed um my inbox is open and i'm sure gordon will be the same that uh, please reach out to us and we can have a conversation at some point and we can build on it for no um worries at all it's just a case of if someone needs to speak to someone that is um similar in these conversations it's always nice to know that you're not alone absolutely couldn't agree more welcome to my world riff raff and rory podcasts episodes will be available every monday and you can listen to the podcast on all podcast streaming platforms follow me on insta facebook linkedin twitter All of my handles are in the show notes. Thanks very much. Tune in next week.